Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here's Dickow from the deep corner for three. Uh-oh, uh-oh. It's on now. Downtown Dan connects. Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. I mean, I've seen Dan Dickow hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. Welcome to today's episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow for SB Live Sports. Today's episode being Wednesday... November 10th means it's one thing. It's Mailbag Wednesday where I take your questions, I answer them, and uh, give you a little bit of insight into maybe memories and experiences that I had during my playing career or maybe even as a broadcaster or I just share my thoughts uh, on different topics. So we'll get right into it. We typically do three questions on each Mailbag Wednesday. If you've got uh, any interest in having your question answered, please email it to dickow at scorebooklive.com. Hit me up on social media at dandickow21, either Instagram or Twitter, or send it to one of our SB Live um, message platforms and the, the, the question will get to me. So uh, here we go. Let's get going on the first question. Uh, Seth from New York asks, what should what is the best amount of players in a college rotation to keep guys happy? Um, that's a unique one. That's a difficult one to answer. Um, you know, I think the the hardest thing for a college coach to do in this day and age is to keep every player on their roster happy, um, especially with the immediate uh, waiver of having to sit out a year. Uh, I think. There was a, some some coaches had done a really good job of accepting transfers and using that redshirt year to kind of uh, even out their their experience level and even out the roster to work uh, and, and plan a little bit further in advance. I, I don't think you can do that quite so well. I think Coach Few traditionally has done a really good job of that. I think the coach who's done the best job of that in recent years would be uh, Eric Musselman, who's now at at Arkansas, when he was at Nevada, uh, he would take three or four transfers and they would all redshirt because his philosophy was, hey, I'm only going to play eight guys. And if I've got 11 guys that are, are eligible, that 9, 10, 11 guy, you know, they're going to be pretty frustrated uh, at the situation, pretty frustrated at me and want to play. Um, why don't I just keep the rotation at eight? occasionally sneak it to nine if an if an injury or, or foul trouble occurs, but that was rarely the case, especially at the college game because it's a shorter game. And, and coaches can control things a little bit more with the pace of play by calling sets, and it's a 30-second clock. Um, but for me, I personally think um, you shoot for an eight-player rotation, and then you hope that your ninth and tenth guys – um, can gain enough of enough experience early in the year um, while you're figuring out that eight-man rotation. You're hoping the ninth or tenth man can, can get enough experience uh, and get comfortable enough. Or 
they've gotten enough playing time in, in blowouts one way or the other. Um, usually if you're having this issue uh, of rotations, you're probably uh, more likely on the winning side of many games as opposed to, um, you know, getting blown out yourself. So I, again, I think eight is, is perfect. Um, I, I think nine is possible, but eight, eight is really the way, the way to go and, and having that ninth and 10th guy, um, you know, ready to go in a pinch. So great question from Seth. Uh, thankfully, I'm not the coach that's having to implement this at the college level with guys sitting on the bench looking down wanting to play. I've had to do it at the youth level. And at the youth level, uh, eight is perfect, in my opinion. Nine gets a little trickier. Uh, Ten is absolutely difficult at the youth and AAU level. Ten is perfect for practice because obviously you want to get five on five. Um, So that's where youth coaches have to get a little more creative in in their practices and making things, um, you know, structured and game-like. And and my idea has always been to to bring in some older kids um, for those practices to get to that ten number or ask another team to join. Um, second question comes from John in Chicago. He asks, with the NCAA season just kicking off, everybody really gets excited for March Madness and the tournament. I know you do commentator work. Do you like NBA commentators calling NCAA games? Uh, that's a hot button one. Um, in short answer, no, I do not. Um, and the reason being is, you know, there are so many college basketball analysts like myself, um, who are still kind of growing their career and growing their opportunities. And and when they get a chance, trying to make the most of those opportunities who follow the game, uh, closely throughout the whole year and then gear up for the greatest sports event in, in, in the U S and that's March Madness every March. You know, you, you go from Selection Sunday to the title game. Um, that's the greatest three-and-a-half-week stretch I personally think there is in, in college sports – or, sorry, in, in sports across the world. Now, I, I know the, the Olympics is great. I, I know World Cup soccer is great. Um, there are other, you know, high-level events that, get, that, that are exciting, you know, the Super Bowl, the NBA Finals, the World Series. Um, but I really – think the March Madness, the NCAA tournament is the greatest event there is. Uh, I don't think there needs to be a lot of tweaking to it. I, I think they do a great job. But it can be disappointing and frustrating to see NBA commentators calling those games as well as in studio uh, analyzing those games. I get it, though. You know, you look at a guy like Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith, um, and, and some of the others that are are calling games or have called games in the past. Um, with the platform that they have and the name recognition they have and the knowledge of the game that they have, um, they can provide some great unique insight and, and have some great points. Um, the, the problem for me lies in when um, they don't know the, the teams as well. Um, their in-depth knowledge of teams and, and leagues uh, really isn't there. So, you know, they'll, they'll have a quick snapshot of a team um, and, and try to give uh, a really good, insightful opinion on a player and or a team. And if they catch that team at the wrong time in what they watch, um, you know, maybe they're not informing the, the viewers and the fans well enough as, as a college analyst would. Um, maybe they catch a player on an on a unbelievable night 
and they're playing out of mind, out of body experience. And then that's what they comment on. That's it where they see. Um, we're college analysts. We've, we've watched it throughout the year. We've prepped. We've probably seen, depending on the leagues that we, we focus in on, uh, and depending on the games that we've been able to call throughout the year and talk to the coaches and prep for the games and, and the individual rosters, um, you know, we th- we I would like to think we know things much better. But it, it's 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 uh, again it, it's a it's a hot button topic. It gets brought up every March. Um, I enjoy listening to, to Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith, without a doubt. Um, you know, but I, I don't see that changing anytime soon. So, John, thanks for the question. Hopefully, that doesn't get me in any troubles with any of the uh, networks that I work for during the college basketball season. Uh, Last question comes from Paul in Boise, Idaho. Do you like domes for the NCAA tournament in the final four? Um, Yes and no. Um, I get the reason why the domes are used. Um, So yes, it's so that the game of college basketball can be celebrated on on such an immense level. Um, You're talking you know, 70,000, sometimes more people at a Final Four game. Uh, the excitement, the the culmination of a college basketball season um, deserves that much of attention and it deserves um, that amount of fans being able to get into the, to the game and into the venue. Um, but it does take away a little bit from the game itself. I, I think not every time, but a lot of times, um, the shooting backdrops uh, are, leave something to be desired, and, and you don't always see great shooting performances in the Final Four because of um, those backdrops. But that's not an excuse. Both teams have to deal with it. Um, and typically the team that is able to block out distractions the best um, performs the best. Um, you know, and so I think, yes, um, I, I like it for that fact. No, for the fact that I think it can impact the game at times um you know i struggle when you've got a regional site as a dome as opposed to a final four um because i like the the fact or the idea to keep you know the the first two rounds uh as well as then the regional sites in more of an nba size arena around twenty thousand fans um in a similar type gym is what kids have played in throughout the college season but typically, that regional site, there might be one or two uh, hosted in a dome that's preparing to host a Final Four a couple of years later so they can kind of get their logistics down and get their plan all together, uh, work out any kinks uh, for when it truly is go time uh, at the Final Four. Um, but usually, when you're talking Final Four, you're not just talking dome. You're talking um, all of the things that go around a dome typically, and that's your convention centers. Um, you know, that's your hotels. That's the ability to, to have large fan events just outside uh, of the venue. And, and typically, um, you know, those domes are able to house all of the um, peripheral events and all the, the great exciting events that, that go along with having and hosting a Final Four. Um, you know, I, I think if you, if, if you go a little step further, for me, I, I've been to a number of domes, both uh, playing in, in domes in the NCAA tournament, as well as, uh, you know, goes back to high school and then watching games. Uh, my first experience playing in a dome was in high school, my senior year, 1997. Uh, we played in the King Dome of all places in, in Seattle, Washington. 
and they had two courts set up um, so that two games could be going at, at the same time. So on one side of a large stack of bleachers uh, was the girls' state tournament, and then on the other side was the boys' state tournament. So it was the first time I really had a chance to shoot in, in a unique setting like the Kingdom with no backdrop, and we made it to uh the final four of this uh, of the state tournament unfortunately we lost but um that was such a great experience as a young kid um you know high school you play in front of a you know at least my high school you know first couple of years we played in front of 400 people the first couple of years my senior year we were very good so we began to sell out our high school we'd have 15 1600 people at games um and you get to the state tournament and as you advance through the rounds, more and more people go. And that semifinal game that I had talked about, uh, there was probably a good 10, maybe 12,000 people there. Um, and then, so that was the first chance I had to play in front of a really huge crowd and in that type of environment. And it, it was a ton of fun other than the result and that we lost. Um, you know, a couple other, another dome that I played in, and this goes back to the comment I had about, you know, regionals being played at times in a in a dome my junior year with Gonzaga we played Michigan State in Atlanta at at what was the Georgia Dome at the time um and that was uh that was enormous because as i mentioned with the Kingdom in Seattle you had two courts set up and um the way they had it it really kind of condensed the feel well the Georgia Dome is was bigger than the Kingdom but they set it up so about 50,000 people or so was able to watch that game. Uh, I don't know what the final attendance numbers were. I knew, I know it wasn't 50,000, but it was a very large crowd. And, and you know, the echoing, the quietness uh, of the gym at times, and then the, the delayed roar of the crowd on good plays uh, was, was different and unique as a player, as was the backdrop. But, um, you know, Couple other domes that I've been into, uh, the Superdome in New Orleans. I, I didn't play my sophomore year with an injury at UW, but um, you, you know they played there, and I do know guys were complaining about the backdrop in, in practice uh, as well as then in games. It didn't bother Wally Zerbiak though, because he dropped 40 plus on us in a great uh, performance from him. And then you know the other dome that that I've been in recently uh, was Phoenix. Gonzaga went to the Final Four. Um, Phoenix made. Uh, I thought made a, a great uh, venue, um, as did Houston a couple of years before when Gonzaga lost to Duke when I went to the game. Um, but I like the Phoenix setup a little bit better than I like the Houston. Um, the, the hard thing for me is when the court sits up so high, um, the players are almost like on a stage and, and, and that looks a little interesting and odd and unique. And I think that's one of the reasons it really uh, can affect and bother um, the backdrop effect for players as they shoot. Um, but the Phoenix one was solid. It was good. Um, so I don't think in any time soon you're going to see the NCAA go back to a Final Four at a NBA-style arena. I believe the last one was mid-90s when Kentucky uh, was in the title game. I can't remember against who. Might have been against Utah. I'm not sure. But um, that would have been the last time I believe it was in an NBA-type arena. There's just too much, too too much uh, pageantry, too much, too many events tied around the Final Four for that to be the case and go back to a small arena. But that being said, 
I'm looking forward to a, a great college basketball season. Thank you guys for um, a number of college basketball questions this week as college basketball kicks off. And so I wanted to take a couple questions uh, geared just towards NCAA basketball. So thanks again for listening. If you haven't already, like, subscribe, or review. Share it with your friends. Share it with other coaching buddies of yours. Um, give me some feedback. So appreciate the time. Take care and have a great first week of college basketball. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.